Turn it to Psalm 15. Hey yes. Is this being recorded? Yes. Okay. Is that all right? Yes. I, I would like to be able to. So. Yeah. I haven't quite gotten live streaming figured out. I mean, obviously, I know how to. <laughs> in this context. I remember my glasses finally, thank you God. 
All right, Psalm 15, everybody there? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day and the great privilege that it is to draw near to you in worship and to be worshipers in spirit and truth. We praise you for the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace that's poured out as we've just sung, uh, lavished on us in Christ. As we turn to your word and, uh, and our desire is to know you and be known by you, we all pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us to see and understand the truth, that you would take and, and just hide me away behind the cross so that what happens for the next few minutes is that you would use me to speak to all of us, that we might trust you, that we might believe you, and that we might be changed by you. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. All right, Psalm 15 uh, <clears throat> says, Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And he is one in whose eyes a reprobate is despised but honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. <clears throat> Last week, we looked at Isaiah 58. For those of you who weren't here, what we, what we saw was um, that it, <laughs> there is no doubt that God wants to deal with our sin. So he begins Isaiah 58 by telling the prophet to cry loudly and not hold back in declaring the sins of the people to them. Um, one of the first things we took away from that is that God is not going to participate in sweeping sin under the rug, which indicates that, that might be something that we are all prone to do, right? Um, I said that I think most of us project a version of ourselves out to everyone else that looks a lot better than we actually are because we don't really want to be known because we know what we're really made of. And that, that desire and that instinct finds its roots all the way back in the garden at the fall. The minute that Adam and Eve took and ate, the, their eyes were opened and they understood good and evil, and the first thing they did was hid themselves in shame. And humanity has been doing that ever since. Because like Adam and Eve, after they ate, all of us have sinned, and so all of us are just a low-grade ashamed all the time, right? God does not want to sweep our sin under the rug. He wants to deal with it. We also saw that God is not interested in our frantic religious activity. So Isaiah 58 talks about the fasting that the people of God engage in. And he, he basically says, your fasting isn't pleasing to me. I don't like it. And it's not good for you. It doesn't help you. All it does is make you angry and then you abuse one another. And we ask the question, how much of your spiritual quote unquote work is actually about trying to manipulate God into serving you? 
So why am I doing my daily devotions? Why am I fasting? Why am I doing these religious activities? And is there part of us that hopes if we do things that God has kind of prescribed that we do, then he will owe us something. So I get up and I do my devotions so that I can have a good day. I fast so that God will give me whatever it is that I want. And what the prophet says is the result of poor motives makes spiritual activity be polluted with tempers marked by frustration. And as a result, people around us end up getting hurt. So how many Sunday mornings have you guys had where, especially those of you with kids, by the time you get to church, there's already been fights, there's already been swearing, there's already been yelling. All of us, we've all had that. And, And then as you're pulling into the church parking lot or my driveway, I guess, for the time being, there's, you have this feeling like, what, 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 I should just turn around and go home. This is so stupid. But it's because on some level, what we're engaged in isn't about him. It's about us, right? And it shouldn't be that way. So finally, we said, if we want to be free from our sin, we need to learn that freedom comes through relationship, not frantic activity. The idea being... Perhaps what we need to do as a group, uh, Kelly Drive group, since we're not a church, maybe what we need to do is just spend some time resting with Jesus instead of doing things for Jesus. And my contention, I'm going to be completely honest with all of you, even though um, you may bristle at this especially the adults in the room. I'm being honest with you. My contention is that we are more wounded by the experiences we've had than we could possibly know. And that we are working and walking in a wounded state. And the first thing we need to do if we're going to be healed of our wounds is stop and rest in Christ. The question that I asked last week was this, what would happen if instead of doing things for God, you just sat with God? And we asked four other questions. One, what is your father saying to you right now? Your heavenly father, what's he saying to you right now? Two, what is Jesus asking of you right now? And third, what is the Holy Spirit moving you toward right now? And finally, does, listen, does God want your stuff or does he want you? These are, I think, really important questions to ask ourselves. So I hope you took all that, if you were here last week, and after spending a week resting with God, today what I wanted to do was turn our attention to Psalm 15 in order to see who qualifies to abide with God. Because look how the psalm opens up. Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Well, it seems a bit strange that I would go from talking about uh, the importance of abiding and resting and just being with Jesus and it's all about relationship to then go, but we should see if we actually meet the requirements after luring you all in, right? But let's look at them because there's 10, these are ethical requirements that the word of God creates that, that 
prescribe for us what needs to be happening if we're going to be in the company of Jesus, in the company of the Father, and moving where the Holy Spirit wants us to. These are not religious requirements. These are ethical requirements. So first up, um, I'll start way back in the back with uh, Darcy, and then we'll go to John. Proverbs 10, 9, Darcy, John, Proverbs 11, 3. The first ethical requirement that God gives us in Psalm 15 is he who walks with integrity and works righteousness. Well, that's actually two. He who walks with integrity is number one. Go ahead, Darcy. All right. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. So in this passage, we're talking about how we live life. And integrity is contrasted with perverseness. Let me say this again. Darcy, read it again. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who walks, or but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. You guys understand what I mean when I say the passage is talking about how we live life. It's not about walking, right? It's just a phrase that describes the way you go about your existence. The one who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverted his ways or perverts his ways will be found out. So there is a way that is accurate. There is a way that is honest and true. And then there's a way that's deceptive, inaccurate, and dishonest. So ask yourself this. Is my life marked by honesty or dishonesty? Which is it? Is my life marked by honesty or dishonesty? Sam? Denise? No volunteers? We'll keep going. Proverbs 11.3. John? The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. All right, so now we're walking to a, dis a destination. The integrity of the upright will guide them. The crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So integrity is contrasted with crookedness. So one is a straight, simple path that gets you where you're going, and one is jagged and never really does. Right? So the question that I would say we should ask ourselves is, and let's do it this way. We'll say moms and dads. We'll, we'll start with moms and dads. Right? Fathers and mothers, is your path simple, straightforward, and easy to follow. Because what are we doing all the time? Leading. Right? So what path are your children watching you on? Is it simple and straightforward? Or is it all over the map? Are you here one day and over here the next? You're flipping out one day and super spiritual on Tuesday. And then kids, can your friends see a consistency in your life or are you one way one day and one way the next? Let's keep going. Walking in integrity means doing the right thing even when nobody's looking and nobody's gonna know the difference, right? So when, I, when you do your job, whatever it is, or you do your schoolwork, and there's an easy way that will achieve a result, and then there's the right way that will achieve the right result, if you're walking in integrity, you do the right way that achieves the right result, regardless of whether anybody's ever going to see. Um, the word in English for integrity comes from the Greek word, which means to integrate, which means to make whole or part of the whole. 
So when you hear integrity, think this is a whole person. This is somebody who's one way. Does that make sense? All right, so Psalms 15, uh, 2 says, He who walks in integrity. Second, that's one. Second, he who practices righteousness. So let's go uh, Lisa and John, James 1.22 and Romans 2.13. James 1.22 and Romans 2.13. These are not like new verses that nobody's ever heard before, but they're helpful. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Perfect. Well, I did James. Let's oh, well, sorry, then no, the no worries. Do Romans 2.13. Or if somebody has Romans 2.13, just start reading it. I got it. All right. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So the one who's doing what God commanded may abide with God. The one who's walking in integrity may abide with God. Almost no explanation needed. Right? Everybody knows what this means. It's super simple. Is your life marked by a pattern of obedience? Are you busy obeying God all the time? How are we doing so far? Everybody good? Knock down our first two requirements for abiding with God. I'm sure everybody's feeling great. So let's look at the third one. Uh, so walks with integrity, works righteousness, and then speaks truth in his heart. This isn't even the stuff that comes out of your mouth. This is just what's in here. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is, above all things, deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You could be like, I don't lie out loud. <laughs> I but then we do, too, don't we? Fourth, he who does not slander with his mouth or his tongue. So do you guys know what slander is? It's talking bad about somebody behind their back, right? But it's, it's not just inventing things out of thin air to corrupt somebody's reputation. Slander is even misrepresenting something somebody said. So it's like taking a, a something they said or did out of context in order to make people not like them. That's actually slander. Uh, this is what every politician does to every other po politician in the ads during political season. Joni Ernst said she likes to eat babies. But then in the, in the actual context, it's that she likes to eat baby sheep, which is, is that veal? Lamb. Lamb. But what's it called? Isn't there a special word for it? Anyway, you understand what I mean. So there's slander going on probably to some degree or another in all of our hearts and heads. Remember, we already said, it's not just what comes out of your mouth, it's what's in your heart. So how are you doing with just correctly representing everyone in your own heart? We are not doing well anymore, are we? Let's keep going. Fifth, does no evil to his neighbor. Now, loving my neighbor as myself, I think looks like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guard his reputation. I'm going to protect his, rep, his uh, possessions, and I'm going to be real careful not to corrupt his character. Right? So, reputation. I don't talk to my other neighbor on the other side about how much I dislike this one. I'm not going to steal their lawn furniture and, like, dare them to come get it back. <laughs> but will you let them run unhindered in sin? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, we'll just keep going. He who, this is six, he who takes up no reproach against his neighbor. Now the NASB translates that as friend, but it's the same word as before for neighbor. So you can go neighbor, neighbor, both, both the same thing. Uh, there are things we might never say with our mouths because we are good Christians that we would even try really hard not to even think in our hearts because we're good Christians, but we will happily listen to with our ears. Right? Somebody, I don't remember who it was, once said that the whole economy of gossip would crumble if there were nobody listening. So taking up a reproach means hearing something bad about somebody else and believing it. And kind of liking it. Uh, he who despises, this is number seven, he who despises the reprobate, but honors those who fear the Lord. So a reprobate is somebody who is morally depraved. These are people who are utterly worthless when it comes to doing anything good. These are people like you would not want to be alone in a room with. Okay? We're not talking about somebody with remaining corruption. A reprobate is somebody so awful that like Doug and several other armed uh agents would have to escort from one prison to another so despises the reprobate but honors those who fear the lord who are we more likely to be found sitting with at the fundraiser number eight who who he who doesn't change even when it hurts to be faithful or he swears to his own hurt and does not change. So there's no pressure that can make this person bend against their commitments. They might lose everything, but they're gonna stay the course. They fear nothing more than losing their integrity. This is a person who cannot be cajoled or coerced into anything. Now, how many of us cannot be cajoled or coerced into anything? Number nine, he who does not put out his money at interest. Now we're getting into like, you know, now we can start judging other people, right? <laughs> Bankers. Um, you know those places where you can buy a burner phone and cash a check at the same counter? <laughs> You're not going to find anybody that fits the description of Psalm 15 working behind the counter in one of those places, right? Alone. Oh, I didn't even say anything about poop. <laughs> It'll just go right through him. They're non toxic. I'm so glad I focused everybody's attention. Sorry, Dars. <laughs> yeah, the crayon just greases everything up. Um, where was I? Oh. A loan to a poor person should relieve their financial distress, not exploit it. Well, that's not what happens. Like, that's not what credit cards are for. That's not what lines of credit are for. It's about the exploitation of people who are not sensible with their finances, except for those of you who always pay it off at the end of every month. You're taking advantage of the system, good for you. But that's not what the system's designed for. That's not what they want. Nobody here is a banker, right? So we don't even have to worry about this. Ten. He who takes no bribes to lie about the innocent. Or 
the way the psalmist puts it, does not take a bribe against the innocent. So a bribe doesn't have to be monetary. It could be the promise of reputation, vocational security, or future favors. But there's no quid pro quo in the life of one who would abide with God. So the question is, right now, and we're more than halfway done, the question is, who here meets all of these ethical requirements. You walk in integrity, you practice righteousness, you speak truth in your heart as well as with your mouth. You don't slander, you don't listen to slander, you don't harm your neighbor in any way, you despise the reprobate but honor the people of God, you swear to your own hurt, you swear to your own hurt and don't change when things get hard, you don't rip off poor people, you don't take bribes to bear false witness. All of us certainly do some of these things well, right? But that's not the question. The question is, if the Word of God is laying out all of the ethical requirements for us to abide with Him, who here meets them all? And therefore can go abide and rest and sit with God? And the answer is most certainly none of us. So how are we going to rest with Jesus when none of us meets the requirements for fellowship with God. And some of you didn't struggle with this question at all this week. Like, you were fine. And you already know the answer to the question that I've just asked. If all of us fail to meet the basic ethical requirements of abiding with God, what are we going to do? And you're like, I got it. It's no problem. It's Jesus. That's always the answer. I know the gospel, James. I'm not new at this. But some of you did struggle with it and do struggle with it because you don't buy it that grace is free. So listen, let's, instead of looking for the answer, let's just look at Jesus instead. Everybody, everybody go to Luke 5. We're going to read two passages from Luke 5 and then a passage from Luke 19. Luke 5, 1 says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Who approached who? Yeah, and what was Simon's response once he recognized what was going on? You need to get away from me, right? Look at verse 27. Still in Luke 5, I think. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him at his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. 
The Pharisees and their scribes began to grumble at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who did Jesus come to call? Everybody. Who did Jesus come to call? Everybody. Sinners, right? Who needs a physician? The guy who's got a resting heart rate of 58, runs 82 miles a day, has super low cholesterol, not an ounce of clogged arteries, and is going to live forever? Or the guy who's eaten trash since he was 12, you know, all jacked up, got diabetes and heart disease, and he's going blind, they've already amputated one foot. Like, who needs a physician in this scenario? The one who's a wreck needs the physician, and that's what Jesus is saying. I didn't come to be impressed with those of you who are nailing it. I came for those of you who are not, right? In Luke 8, you can go see Jesus get into a boat with his disciples. We're not going to read it. He goes across the sea for one purpose. Once he gets over there, he starts walking around, finds a crazy man who's living in the tombs, who's possessed by a legion of demons. He casts the legion of demons out, sends the guy away in his right mind, gets back in the boat, and goes back across the sea. The only reason he went to the land of the Gerasenes was to heal that one man. Who took the initiative in taking care of that demoniac? Jesus did. He gets back on the other side. He takes care of Jairus' daughter, the woman who had the hemorrhage. In John 4, you have Jesus going to the trouble to go through Samaria, where he meets a woman at a well who does not have a great reputation. She's had five husbands, and the one who she's got right now isn't her husband. You remember her? And she wants to have a religious debate with him, and he's like, how about you get saved instead? I've got living water. Like, he went there to find her and meet with her and talk to her. Look at Luke 19. This is everybody's favorite because we have a song about it. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to excuse me, pass pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, when all the righteous people saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What kind of people is Jesus looking for? The lost. Your legalistic retort to everything that I've just laid out before us is this. Sure, sure, Jesus calls sinners, but they don't stay that way. That's your legalistic retort to what I've just laid out before you. These people were all changed 
and I haven't changed enough so God doesn't want to hear from me and doesn't want to be near me. My biblical correction for your legalistic retort is found in Galatians 3. Everybody turn there and with this we'll basically be done. Okay, that's not, that's not true. But we're very close. Galatians 3, just the first three verses. And, and listen, if you in your heart are like, look, I understand these gospel principles. I get it. I've heard them before. I, I, I hear what you're saying, James. But what you need to understand is that I am accepted from all of these promises and principles because I am worse than Zacchaeus. Because at least Zacchaeus, after he became a believer, gave away half his stuff and paid everyone back that he defrauded. I'm still sinning. These people were somehow perfected in holiness after Jesus met with them. Look. Look at Galatians 3, 1 through 3. This is directed at you. You foolish Christian, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Do you understand that the Son of God hung on a cross, bleeding and dying so that your remaining corruption could be dealt with? Who has bewitched you? Jesus died. This is the only thing that I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Listen, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, now you're going to be perfected by the flesh? If you needed Jesus at the outset of your salvation, and it seems like you need him right now, come on, why, why is Galatians 3 here? If it's just for circumcision, let's rip the whole book out of our Bible because we don't need it anymore. Nobody in this room is like, I think maybe I need to get circumcised. That's not an issue for us. But what if Galatians 3 is here because legalistic people think once you get saved, the rest is up to you. Don't be bewitched. Don't be deceived. If you started by the Spirit, if God saved you because He's merciful and loving and kind, how's He going to save you 10 years later? How's He going to save you 20 years later? What's it going to look like? You go through those 10 ethical things laid out in Psalm 15. Who gets to abide with God? Who gets to be with Him on His holy hill? Well, people that walk in integrity, people that are righteous, people that care for their neighbors, people that don't slander, people that don't lie, people that obey God, people that don't rip other people off. And we're all, by the time you get to that end of that list, all of us are saying, I don't meet the minimum requirements to abide with God. And Jesus is saying, no kidding. That's why I came down to earth and wrapped myself in flesh and did all this. So that we can abide together. Like, who took the initiative? He did. You're like, oh, I know, but that was to start. Now i got to finish it. Where is that in the Bible? It's not in there. At no point does God say, all right, I got you started. The rest is on you. How did you start? Apart from Christ or with Christ? How did you start? Apart from Christ or with Christ? Yeah, he started, everybody started apart from him. Who took the initiative? Jeremiah. Who took the initiative? Jesus. Everybody together? Jesus. Jesus took the initiative. What kind of person were you when Jesus took the initiative? Lost. A sinner. sinner. 
What quality did you possess that attracted God to you? None. Very good. What kind of people is Jesus looking for? And what happened to you? Jesus saved you from your sin, right? How did he do it? By making you do things or by doing everything that was necessary to redeem you? He did it. And now, having begun by the Spirit, are you going to finish by the works of the law? Either Galatians 3 applies to us or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I'm begging you, rip it out of your Bible right now and don't ever read it again. What is your father saying to you right now? What is Jesus asking of you right now? And what is the Holy Spirit moving you toward right now? And does God want your stuff or does God want you? Yes, I am a hypocritical, unrighteous, lying in my heart, slandering with my mouth and ears, not caring enough about my neighbors, snickering with the reprobate, ignoring the people of God, changing my ways when things get hard, failing to be generous, bribable sinner. That's what I am. What would God want with me? Well, what he wants with me is me. What does he want you to do? He wants you to repent and believe. So if it stings to go through those ethical requirements and start seeing yourself not doing them, what does your father, what is your father saying to you? He's saying, listen, pay attention. There is a standard. What is Jesus calling you to do? Believe in me. Turn away from your sin. And what is the Holy Spirit moving you toward? Faith in the Son of God, not works-based legalistic righteousness. It doesn't save you. It's not going to help you. What more could he do to break into your heart and convince you that he loves you than what he's already done? Nothing. So this week, I want you to really rest with God. Sit with Jesus. Stop all the frantic activity. And, and, and if you want to take every thought captive, here's a great way to do it. Pray and ask the Lord to answer three questions for you. Number one, what is God my Father saying to me today? What is Jesus calling me to do today? And what is the Holy Spirit moving me toward today? And then remember, God wants you, not your stuff. All right? Let me pray and then we'll sing. <clears throat> Father, if, if you could just, for a moment, put thoughts of self-righteousness and thoughts of doubt on hold in all of our minds so that we could sit and rest I know that we can begin to heal, perhaps in a new way and a fresh way. So that's what we're asking. Jesus, would you show us yourself risen victorious over sin? And Holy Spirit, would you just inhabit the praise of your people now and for the rest of this week? We ask 
In Jesus' name, amen.